I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. It's time for episode number 330 of Video Games Hot Dog, live from the noisiest house in San Francisco. <laughs> you've you've the, replaced your birds. Working, re- replacing my roof. Yeah, I've replaced the, the birds with men who are re- replacing the roof uh, with anvils that they're hammering on and uh, layers <laughs> of leaf blowers. Um, I think that it's nice of them to use these leaf blowers to clean up the detritus that's falling onto the porch and the yard and, and I guess, you know, wherever else they're... They'll probably bring a leaf blower into the living room at some point. Uh, Is it nice of them to use you, a leaf blower, really? You, you want to know, uh, know the most tragic thing that happened today in the entire world? Okay. That I, sounds uh, depressing. I don't want to hear it. I clean my I clean my bathroom pretty pretty thoroughly. Like I, I I put on a podcast and I got some rags and some cleaner and I and I just really I just really went to town on the old bathroom. Uh, and then later in the day, uh, something that the roofers did caused a tremendous amount of just black dust to fall out of the exhaust fan in the bathroom oh. all over the bathroom. <laughs> well, just imagine how much worse you would feel about it with the old mess plus the black dust. I guess that's true. I mean, the the original batch of black dust was the reason that I decided to clean it in the first place. I was like, you know, I can handle just the general filth of my eliminations sort of just (laughs) sticking to every surface in here. But this black dust is a bridge too far. Uh, Are you not concerned that there is some sort of nearby source of black dust just... It could fill your bathroom at any moment? Well, I mean, I think it's the, you know, it never happened prior to men routinely kicking the exhaust to the bathroom fan. Uh, you know, I, really, the city is just a source of black dust. You know yeah, this. Yeah, it's really gross. That is you know gross. how nasty your windowsills get just yep. because of the hydrocarbons? Yeah. God, just think about yeah. all that in your lungs. Hydrocarbons, every time you clean them, two more appear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have you been up to, Jim? Uh, I just got here from the dentist. I had an appointment about an hour and a half ago, so like the left side of my face is numb, and I'm doing my best to enunciate, but if I'm like, if I just start kind of slipping, it's not you guys, it's just me, it's just the... Novocaine or whatever it is they give you now. Did they also give you laughing gas? Uh, no, I wasn't laughing. Um, Did they give you sneezing gas? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, if if so, they also gave you that stuff that that blanks your the memory of the pain. <laughs> mm. uh, did what did you have done? Uh, it was a filling replacement. I actually looked like the process was over in like twenty minutes. And then I looked in the mirror for the filling they replaced, and they it all looked the same to me. So I think they might have just been like, "Let's just get an insurance copay out of this guy." <laughs> just just poke him with with some tools a little bit and tell him it's done. It's like, yeah, yeah. The, you should you should ask to see the old filling, like how you have to ask a car <laughs> repairman to show you the the belt he replaced. <laughs> right. Do they stick something in your mouth that was just a little piece of plastic and then they put another thing in there that burned the plastic so you get the authentic filling smell? Oh, yeah, that smells pretty, pretty bad. Like, I always thought that was like my teeth being vaporized. It's a pretty gross smell. It might be. Do you think that there's a layer of hell where you all you're allowed to breathe is teeth? Uh. 
What's to say the black dust isn't makes teeth? That, everything makes that squealing R2-D2 noise all the time. Whoa, is this a is this a phobia of yours, Riff? Not R two D two in particular. I just think that's what it sounds like when they're drilling your teeth. It sounds like they're torturing R two D two in there. Oh right, oh, yeah, like R two D two is very very upset about the vaporizing teeth, droid pain, or like when they burned the feet of that square oh, droid, yeah. and which apparently has like pain sensors on the bottoms of its feet for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you feel bad about it? So, I mean, droids have feelings, right? Like, like C-3PO can be afraid of things and, and worry about things. Do you think that, do you think that they programmed droids to be able to experience that thing where you think about an embarrassing thing that you said in high school and then you just like (laughs) wince for 30 seconds? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like a lot of droid, android engineering, robot engineering is, there to make you feel to empathize with the robot even if the robot isn't empathizing with you like do you guys know about the wappy dog no No. wappy dog was like a a robot dog that sold with a ds cartridge a nintendo ds cartridge um and it was like you know you would you would it was kind of like nintendogs with an with a dog accessory where you would play with the dog and the living room soundtrack is banging, and I wish I could find it on YouTube, but nobody's uploaded it. Um, and Wappy Dog has like, you know, he'll, he'll do tricks. He'll, he'll like sit. Um, but he also has a, a, a lever for a tail. Uh, and he gets upset if you pull his tail. And there's no other purpose for that lever to exist than to pull his tail. <laughs> So I feel like this is a robot that like that th- it, it exists in part so you can feel bad when it feels pain. Yeah, that's the- <laughs> we implemented cruelty. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It> was- <laughs> oh, there's not enough cruelty in this dog. All right. <laughs> Go back, I mean, back to the drawing implement- board. They only they only implemented an affordance for the expression of cruelty, right? right like, yeah, they, it, it's not like the people who made this dog created the human well, desire to cause suffering in another being, right? Like, it's just the specific, just giving the people what they want. Yeah. So that was this afternoon. Uh, what what else has been going on in your life besides that robot dog uh, and your teeth? Oh, I mean, I'm working on a game I can't talk about. Me too. Yeah, exciting. Me neither. Seems like it's just about done. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's probably the next thing I can't talk about after that. So it's Hooray! It's, it's, it's definitely <laughs> like I do feel like it is dumb that that AAA developers can't talk about their stuff because marketing has a plan for it. And I always like kind of thought it was one of the good things about being indie is that you can just talk about shit, talk about what you're working on, and that counts as marketing. Uh, but everything I work on is secret, and it's really annoying. But it's not generally secret because of marketing, right? No, it's secret because it's cooler to be a secret. Yeah, I mean, I think you generally were. I mean, and this, you know, this most recent thing that we're working on that we can't talk about is. A lot of its value is 
based on the surprise of it. Yeah, yep, it is a surprising thing and for so sure. That's just like a thing. You know, I mean, so I guess we're not not talking about this like we're not talking about, you know, Rage 2. We're not talking <laughs> about this like you don't talk about a surprise party or, you know, an elaborate gift that you've gotten for your wife for wife day. Right. <laughs> that's a holiday, right? Sure. They just don't teach you about it until you get married. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, shit, I've been married. Yeah, never mind. That's maybe why you're I, divorced maybe now. That, maybe that's why she left me. It's because I kept forgetting <laughs> wife day. Uh, what have you been up to, Kevin? I, uh, so a couple months ago, uh, some good friends of Melissa uh, had sort of introduced her to uh, this band that they liked. Uh, and they were like, Oh, uh, we should go see a show of theirs. They're playing in, uh, in San Francisco in May. And so they bought some tickets. Uh, and it was like at a venue that I'd never heard of, but I was like, sure, I'll, I'll go with y'all. Uh, and I was like, are you sure you want to go to this thing? It says the doors don't even open until nine. And she's like, Oh yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, Melissa, who normally goes to sleep at 8 p.m. Um, and so uh, we get together and we have sort of like we, we meet up at like 8.30 and then go have some drinks because we know that the there's, you know, one or two opening acts. Uh, and so we get some drinks and then so about 9.30 we go into this place and it turns out it's a dance club and there's like no in and out privileges. Once you're in, you have to stay in. You can't leave if you want to get back in. And it turns out there are two opening acts and each one has a set that's like an hour, hour and a half long. So the, the band that, that they wanted to see, the, the sort of performer isn't coming on until like midnight. Uh, and both Melissa and her friend, like, haven't been up at midnight for years. Uh, and so we, we stayed as long as they could, could handle it. And then, uh, and then we just left because they were exhausted. So that was, that was my fun, uh, adult outing <clears throat> i feel like i i haven't been to many concerts in my life but i feel like well over half of them have been like we're just sitting past this goddamn four-hour opening act to get to the good part and then we have to leave <laughs> early and miss it yeah i've not really found that to be true in my experience i like i think partly as you go see bands that are themselves a bunch of old people right uh, they start on time <laughs> like <laughs> oh when's up paul simon Paul Simon last year started right on time. No opening act. It was like, oh yeah, that guy doesn't want to stay up until 10 p.m. either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have stuck around. I think. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think once I've like gotten over the activation energy of like leaving the house to go do something, I'm probably game to just stick around and see what it's all about. Um, but this is yeah. why it's critical that you join us in our visit to Wasteland Weekend in <laughs> September. We are going we are going to go to Wasteland Weekend and it's going to be great. Are you going to cosplay uh, as a stick figure? You have to cosplay, but you can't cosplay as a stick figure. Yeah. Like oh. you, you, you have to be in a Mad Max style Wastelander costume. Uh, yep. Although I think, you know, based on some video I've seen, one way that you can do that is to just like wear your your typical utilicilt 
and black t-shirt, but then like some rusty chains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put some duct tape all over it. And- oh, but before I forget, I explained to my dentist how to get to the podcasts in iTunes. So uh-huh. I should, I should let, let everybody know Aaron Escalante DDS is a fantastic dentist. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a, that's some good, uh, product placement that you got going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just I've decided that the thing to do is just to not go to the dentist anymore instead of finding a dentist in San Francisco. You don't need, really need a dentist if you have a pair of pliers. <laughs> That's true. <sighs> sure. And a Dremel. <laughs> God. Self, I think self-dremeling is a tough ask. Unless you can self uh, laughing gas yourself as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think when you do it to yourself, you don't you usually like use balloons instead of uh, right. You use the whippets. Mask. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't seem like a a very good plan. <laughs> Actually, just do some, do some do some whippets and then put a Dremel in your mouth. <laughs> Uh, I, I've been in my house with a lot of noise, uh, as they work on the roof and that's, that's about all. Unless Kevin, you don't remember anything interesting that I've done in the last week. Do you, uh, I don't know. We've gone out and had drinks several times. I don't know if that's interesting. That's true. No, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's fun in the moment. Thanks to alcoholism. Every drink is its own reward. (laughs) What have you been up to, Riff? Uh, I watched a cool documentary. What'd you see? About what? It's uh, it is called Deceptive Practice. It is sort of a biography slash memoir of a stage magician named Ricky Jay. Uh, oh. Yeah, and he, if you haven't heard of him, you might have seen him in various movies. He does a lot of like little minor like card hustler and gambler roles because he, he's, he had, like, he's a, such an incredible expert at manipulating playing cards. Didn't he have like a like a brain aneurysm or something? Like no. six years ago, he, or something? if he did, I haven't cut, heard of it. I think you're thinking. I think you're thinking of somebody else. He fell down a few years ago and broke his wrist, uh, which huh. has like has like fucked up his ability to do some of the more like sort of strength related tricks that's uh, yeah, uh, that he that he used to be able to do. Yeah, like throwing throwing a playing card into the side of a watermelon and things like that. I guess. Yeah. He's a cool guy. He's he's really smart and really just yeah. interested in he's things. Super erudite and knowledgeable. He there besides uh, deceptive practices, which I I saw. It's it's for free on uh, Amazon Prime Video right now. Um, you can also uh, uh, if you search uh, YouTube for um, Ricky J Fifty Two Assistants Medium. Somebody has posted like the entirety of his uh, Ricky Jay and his two, 52 assistants stage show, and it's super great. He does some amazing stuff. the the um, the the uh, documentary is basically him talking about how he he you know his all the people he's known 
uh, in magic and how he got his start when when he was a little kid because like his I guess his grandfather was a uh, like a, a high level amateur magician in New York in like I guess the forties or whatever. Uh, so he was friends with like a lot of the really famous professional magicians. And so a lot of this documentary is just Ricky Jay just telling anecdotes about all these really famous old magicians. And they've got some like grainy black and white, super early, uh, film of, of some of these guys doing some of their routines. And it's just really fascinating. It's like a really, a, a real, a little, uh, uh, history of like, uh, of like forties and fifties magic. It's really cool. That's neat. Yeah. I saw Ricky Jay, uh, interviewed. I want to say that it was part of sketch fest, even though it's not really a comedy thing. Uh, but, uh, I don't remember the, the guy who interviewed him was just some like folk musician from the sixties who was friends with him. Hmm. Um, it was very good. He's, uh, yeah. It, it, if you listen to him interviewed on podcasts, it's really good too. Yeah. He has some, he has some neat books about all, uh, I guess his, one of his interests is in not just historical magicians, but also like, uh, just strange entertainers like the the sideshow freaks and and stunt artists and things like that so he's got several books about that sort of thing there's one called learn learned pigs and fireproof women is a good one <laughs> i'm i'm looking right now at my bookshelf on which ricky j's uh Matthias Buchinger, the greatest German living, is another <laughs> just book about a, a a weird small guy who did uh, this crazy elaborate art. Yep, yep, and both those videos are free to watch, so it's definitely worth doing. Watch them, watch them. Uh, I played almost no video games. Uh, so I'm now I'm just vamping. <laughs> <laughs> blah blah. <laughs> um, uh, something that I've gotten in the habit of is playing the uh, daily challenge on Slay the Spire, which has been uh, fairly entertaining. It's um, there are like some real dramatic rules changes every day that makes it a very very different experience every time, and it's. It's pretty good. Like sometimes you don't get to make any choices of uh, which path you you take uh, through the whole game. And so you have even less control over the kinds of things that you're encountering. Sometimes your starting deck is replaced with just crazy things. Sometimes like every monster that you fight gives you one of the like boss treasures rather than a than just a card. Uh, sometimes uh, the, there's a modifier that's like every time you get a card, you actually get three of them. Um there's, I've only ever beaten the game on the daily challenge when there's some sort of like player advantageous set of rules. Um, that's a good game. It's just, it's a lot like Dream Quest, and Dream Quest is also a, a good game. It's a lot like Dream Quest, even to the sen- to the like to the extent that the art is not very good and it's weirdly inconsistent. <laughs> but have any of you played it? No. Mm-hmm. 
I've seen someone else talk about it. Maybe one of the people in the duck feed slide mentioned it. I, I feel it's like it's good. all over the people I follow on Twitter. Like everybody's everybody is talking about that game. I think I can. Yeah, play Tom Tom Francis like, is big into it. There's an old DS first person RPG called I think Dark Spire that had like this really sort of notable weird art style that I think I conflate that in my mind with. Um, and I also have played uh, a not insignificant amount of Skyrim uh, since <laughs> since the last really show. I uh, yeah, I just I because I sort of ran out of stuff that I was interested in doing in Oblivion, and I was like, you know, I don't remember if I've ever done the Mages Guild quest line in Skyrim, and it turns out I totally had, but I just did it again. <laughs> um, I. I installed a mod, like one of the mods that just gives you like a different starting situation, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Than, than the normal beginning of the game. And this one was sort of cool because one of the, one of the sort of characters that you could play was just like, Oh, I'm somebody who just joined the mages guild. And oh, so it nice. just starts you in the mages guild with the first quest of the mages guild quest line as a level one character. And it just gives you some basic equipment and which that worked really well for the thing that I was trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just doing it for something to do now, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> in that compulsion loop. I mean, I find it very relaxing. You know, like, yeah. I can I can sit in bed for an hour before I go to sleep and just go to this other world and, like... Yeah, kill some boars that's, that's or whatever, right? I've been playing Pokemon. Yeah. Same sort of thing. I still feel like Skyrim is boring. That, it helps you go to sleep. It, yeah, it kind of helps me go to sleep, honestly. <laughs> yeah. What have you been playing, Jim? Um, I think the only new thing I've played is I started on God of War, the new God of War. And it's what's your experience with that series? I had played, I'd played through the first game, God, in like 2005 when it came out, um, and I haven't really played anything new since then. Um, I, and my experience is that that first game, you know, does a really good job making you feel badass, um, and doesn't really do a good job at anything like it's pretty like it's really well polished and and i would say that this game um it 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 retains uh making you feel like a badass really well although like it it is definitely clear that this character has aged a lot since that first game um uh and it's really well polished and I'm pretty impressed by it, but also like, it's really hard to, to make a judgment call. Like, I, I, I think last episode we talked about, or maybe the episode before that, we talked about my cynicism about this endeavor as a thing. Um, and it's really too early to say, like, certainly I care more about these characters than I did about the, I guess, lack of characters in the first game, because all Kratos had going for him was that he was mad. Um, and in this game, he's mad and also has a son. 
Well, he was sometimes <laughs> too emotional. He was sometimes horny right. in the first one. <laughs> oh yeah, uh huh. That's true. And this is like—I mean, this- I guess the existence of a son implies uh, some additional earlier horniness, right? <laughs> yep. And like the the joke about the datification of games is that game developers used to be like. You know, oh, you got a cool shotgun, you blow the demon, you blow the demon away and his guts spill out over the floor. And now video games are more like, you got a shotgun, you blow the demon's guts all over the floor and there's a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Just standing nearby. (laughs) Right. Traumatized for life. Like, game developers still love all the exact same shit, but now they have children. So, that's the difference. There is this... There, there seems to be this narrative that, like, the reason that games, that AAA games are coming to be about, like, dudes with their kids is that game developers are aging and becoming dudes with kids. And I have a hard time actually buying that because I don't, I don't think you don't have a kid. Well, no, I don't think that every game developer is exactly the same age, and I don't think that that has ever been true. And I like, well, I think I, I feel like there's this weird, imp- there's this weird like a forty year old person writing about games just assumes that everyone making games <laughs> is aging at the same rate that they are. It might also um, be that like, so I I think people in video games are aging for multiple reasons, and one is that. Um, the people who work in AAA are the people who love AAA games, and those people are getting older too. Like, the younger generation isn't as interested in that sort of game. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind is like, project project leads are probably going to be older. Do you think that's true though? I like, I, because I can't think of a single reason why that would be true. Like the average person working on a video game now, why would they be older than the average person working on a video game 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago? Uh, so 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and even now to some extent, um, the, the game industry meat grinder has a constant, uh, has been constantly fed by people graduating from schools. Um, and that demands that, the people graduating are people who were really passionate about games, about specifically about AAA games. And I think today's kids are less passionate about that sort of game. Um, I and I and- also don't know that I buy that given that like when we, when we were making our kids game, we were talking to the people about like what these sort of universal experiences of children were in video games. Like what is, what is the Oregon Trail for for this generation of kids that, that we're trying to make this thing for? Yeah, and it was Call of Duty. Like, yeah, that makes sense. That is the one Mi- thing that Minecraft. everyone is guaranteed to Minecraft and Call of Duty, right? But yeah. but I mean, yeah, Mine, Minecraft supports Jim's point, so I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> well, I think even Fortnite supports my point. Why is that? I because it feels oh, because a lot- it's not a. I don't. I don't look at. Uh, Fortnite and see like uh, a traditional AAA experience. I see something that is a lot more. It's kind of like um, almost like a mobile game on PC. You know, it's it's one it's one of those games that are meant to you're meant to play forever and keep buying stuff in indefinitely. Uh, so I guess I will. I I can acknowledge that like 
20 years ago, you did not have a handful of people that you could name who had been in the video games industry for 20 years because 40 years ago, there was not a video games industry. Right. right? So, so there is that, but like, you know, it, it, it seems like, you know, Jeff, uh, Jeff games pundit Esquire can write both the people making games are becoming middle-aged and then write the games industry is terrible and nobody's career lasts longer than 10 years. And like, not both of those things can be yeah, true. Yeah, like one of those takes may be out of date. Or it may be that they're both still true to some extent. Yeah. I would like to know, like, if um, if we're starting... I think my, my sense of it is, is that, like, we, we are starting to turn a corner on a quality of living, quality of life, uh, being something that people care about. And also, like, in, I've seen enough people... In AAA development, you mean, or...? yeah. Um, and, and also I've seen more and more people talking about how like long-term crunch is ineffective. So like, I don't know what that actually looks like from the inside, but my sense of it is that things are definitely getting more livable over there. Guys, I have an idea. Let's all get jobs in AAA uh -huh. for one year and then uh -huh. meet back here. One year from tomorrow. Uh -huh. I'm assuming we'll Turns be able to get out these I've jobs tomorrow. up and I've right. been changing people's tires for a year. <laughs> 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 what? Oh. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> well, that'll be a valuable perspective. <laughs> I know. I mean, and you know, you can end your memoir with all that time I thought I was changing tires when what was really changing was my heart. <laughs> yep. Oh, also, you started you started smoking a lot of cigarettes, and you had to get a heart transplant. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I've got some. So, how's, how's the new God of War? Oh, I mean, it's too early to really say. The combat's fun. It's really polished. The character, the lead character, is a huge asshole, just like before. Except now, the game seems to like actually acknowledge this. Um. And whether it does anything interesting with that, uh, with that assertion, like, is what's going to probably make up my mind on it. Like, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about it in terms of, like, the value to me as a consumer of art and how, like, if this is just like, oh, it's the same toxic masculinity before, but with an asterisk on it. That's not useful to me, but it might actually be an interesting viewpoint to 99% of gamers who just eat that shit up without thinking about it. Like maybe this will make them think about it. I guess we were all thinking about it. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I like toxic masculinity. Okay. All right. Let's think Isn't about that, a that band some more. From the 90s? You're thinking of the Toxic uh, Crusader. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't the origin story of the Toxic Crusader is that he they the government dumped some poisonous chemicals onto some marijuana fields in order to kill hippies, but the guy was standing there while they dumped it. 
or something. Did, didn't he have a mop? Wasn't <laughs> oh, he a Oh, like how Joe Pesci is standing there when the blowtorch goes off and just doesn't move? What? <laughs> what? In, in Home Alone, <laughs> there's a scene where oh. Joe Pesci just stands there like an idiot under under uh, a under an, uh, flame for like 10 seconds. I see. Um, well, no, I, I mean, I imagine that what I'm saying is that I would walk away from the toxic waste instead of hanging out in it. Well, it's, I mean, I think though that it was, it kind of came down all at once having oh, been dumped okay. out of an airplane, oh, right? That, it okay. wasn't like the, it wasn't like the government sent a guy with a watering can out to, <laughs> to just slowly trickle. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a a bucket chain going just from the. <laughs> oh man, too bad they didn't do that. Have you played anything else? Uh, nothing comes to mind. I feel like I must have, but but it's all a blur. Wait, are the Toxic Crusader and the Toxic Avenger two different things? Oh, Toxic Avenger is who was I th- who I was thinking of, right? I think me too. Wait, so which one of those is about toxic masculinity? Both of them. Okay. I think they're both men. Uh-huh. And, and you know what they say about all men? Yeah, not them. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, did you play any other video games? Uh, no, probably not. But you're not what sure. What about you, Riff? Uh, I played a few things. I played uh, I played a few games from uh, Ludum Dare, Ludum Dare 41, which is either still in progress or has recently ended. I'm not sure how it works. But is the, that the two disparate genres? Yeah, yeah. The 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 uh, theme was to combine two genres that don't really go together. And uh, the 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 most interesting one I played was called Roulette Night, which is a uh, RPG slash Russian roulette game. You uh, okay? You you have this the the you have this knight sitting at a table pointing at a pistol pointing a pistol to his head, and you've you have control over like you you can. Um, uh, uh, you've got like an interface for the for the pistol, so you can open the cylinder and decide which sockets in in the revolver you want to put, however many bullets to a a minimum number of bullets, depending on what level you're in. And then you you close up the cylinder and and click the trigger, and uh, you can respin the cylinder or or reload it however you want uh, at any point, and the amount of gold and experience points you get is based on how many bullets are loaded into it and how many times you click or how many times you pull the trigger without, uh, without spinning the cylinder again. Um, and just, you know, obviously if the gun goes off, your guy takes a lot of damage, uh, but the, you, you use the gold and, uh, experience points to get things like more hit points or, or increased chance of the bullet missing, or buy a revolver with nine chambers instead of six, or 
or uh, <laughs> denser helmets <laughs> and things like that. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty cute. It's it's uh, it's weirdly fun. Um, but, What's uh, interesting to me is I'm hearing a, a a deeper gun sim than receiver had even. Yeah. Oh man, I forgot about receiver. That that one was crazy. That was the one where you had to where the the gun reloading mechanic was super realistic. So you had to go through but, all these but, different steps with their own keybinds. Yeah, but not realistic enough that you chose what hole to put the bullet in. Well, right, because it was an automatic, like, not a revolver. I think you could get a revolver too. Oh, really? Like, but but in it sounds like in in the game you're describing, like you could like, oh, I put the bullet in the wrong place. I put it in the barrel <laughs> instead. Oh. <laughs> oh no! Just, just you—you're just choosing which of the slots in the in the cylinder to put it in. Although that does change up, like the the uh, the randomization of it, I guess, obviously, because if you, for example, if you put only two bullets in, but you put them right next to each other, and if you if you shoot, then that then you know something about the odds of the next bullet being oh yeah that makes sense being a bullet or not so yeah it's it's pretty interesting in that regard um let's see what else did i play oh i played uh one called my first day in the agency which is combination of stealth game and i guess like like a survival type game. The idea is it's a very simple, like a uh, uh, stealth game where you're like wandering around the maze, maze trying to stay out of the guards vision cones while you pick up all the secret plans. Uh, the, the twist is that your guy has to eat periodically. So you have to wander up to a vending machine because once your hunger meter runs out, he, you're, speed becomes really erratic and mostly slow uh and also there's a uh, you also have to go to the bathroom occasionally because if your if your bladder meter runs out although the game the game calls it the badler meter if your badler <laughs> gets too full and it does it like consistently it's not a one off <laughs> typo it's consistently referred to as your badler uh, if your battler gets too full, you go really slow for a couple of seconds, and then for like a minute afterwards, you're trailing pee everywhere. And if the guards spot the pee, it's game over, just as if they'd spotted you. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a uh, uh, that it's uh, it's not super polished. It's 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 pretty plain. They made it in like a day or a weekend or whatever. But it's 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 a uh, it's funny. And and Badler is worth a laugh just on its own. Um, those are probably the only two of those I played that are worth really talking about. I also there oh they there's a there's a crazy thing that started uh, being worked on. I think I've I've probably talked in here before about the link to the past randomizer. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So I they've there's also I don't know if I've mentioned someone also did a Super Metroid ran, randomizer that does a similar sort of thing where just all the pickups in Super Metroid are randomized. Somebody noticed that um, 
the uh, a Super NES ROM is, I think, like 256 blocks of memory, right? Somebody noticed that Link to the Past stores all its data in the first half, and Super Metroid stores all its data in the back half. So they were able to take both games and stitch them together into a single ROM so that you can play both games simultaneously. They've set up like warp points. Like if you, if you go into one of the fortune teller huts in Link to the Past, you come out in one of the map rooms in Super Metroid. And they randomized all the items across both games. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And you have, to, and they set it up so that whichever boss you beat first, like if you beat Mother Brain first, then it doesn't start the escape sequence. You have to go back and beat Ganon, and then you can win the game. <laughs> wow. Damn. Yeah, it's just all this crazy, crazy shit. Like the there's um uh there there's this spot in Link to the Past, like early in the game, that the the speedrunners and and randomizer racers uh, always check really early. It's like this cave back behind where the two lumberjacks are, which is where you come out after beating Agonim the first time, and you can see up on a ledge there whatever your prize is going to be for beating Aghanim. So if, you, uh, if you're if you playing the randomizer, people usually go up there and check and see what that is so that they know whether or not they can just skip the Aghanim fight altogether. And so right. I'm watching this this guy play the, the crossover uh, game, and he goes in there, and what's sitting up there is the morph ball. <laughs> and he's oh, like, shit. well, crap, I'm going to need that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing uh, that's the, really the, cool the only downside is that the the super metroid randomizer is um is built basically for speedrunners, so it assumes knowledge of a lot of the the speedrunner tricks and, and glitches that people use so it's oh, no. probably right. it's probably not playable by by a casual player the way the, the link to the past randomizer is yeah but um they are i think the super metroid randomizer guy is working on uh, a more like a set of casual settings for it and then hopefully those will be incorporated into the crossover because yeah it, it's super wild I wonder. I wonder if this could become a legitimate, like, mainstream uh, style of game like an, where like an esport. No, not an esport. Not not the. I'm not necessarily talking about the um, competitive aspect of it, but I'm talking about the like taking two relatively different games and stitching them together such that you're warping back and forth between them mm. and having to complete objectives in both. And and maybe there being like a randomized aspect to it so that each run is a little different yeah uh, this is what i was kind of hoping that um share cart would would eventually lead to i don't think yeah. any games ever did that though that would be great is that the one that it's just the the player Single versus save player file. like uh oh no i'm thinking of something else then yeah no this, is oh. the, this was the thing that like damien summer and um uh alexander martin had sort of posited right the you have a, a suite of games with a single save file. Yeah. Uh, oh, right, right. Okay, yeah. And the, fjords and... So and, the, the, uh, the flag means different things depending on what game you happen to be in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. 
That's yeah, that, I could, that's I, a really cool idea. Yeah. I like that I like that notion as well. I don't think I don't think it really took off. I feel like there were maybe like a dozen games made for well, they, there were like they were, there were like 25 games as the result of the jam we organized but like oh that's true those were just jam games you know not not games of any size of, or scale yeah and as i as i recall from like as good as that idea is that the stuff that actually came out of it was like just sort of inaccessible glitch stuff that like yeah that's true it didn't really like i feel like you needed what could have been interesting is if there were some fairly traditional mundane games that delivered on the promise of the extremely artsy premise, right. as opposed to weird Super artsy, artsy games, games. Yeah. That, that like that like you, you can't it's or impossible you can't to tell, tell what the fuck is going on in one of the games, much less what influence they're having on each other. Right. You know, right. If you only ever played one of them, uh, it would there wouldn't be any differences at all. <laughs> yeah, my memory of them is as sort of just overwritten by like fjords and strawberry cubes. Um, Was strawberry cubes a a share card game? No, neither of those were. I don't. Fjords, fjords was. was. Fjords, fjords was. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, okay then. Yeah, my point exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Was Oikospiel a share card game? Because <laughs> maybe that was what was wrong with it. Maybe it would have been a comprehensible game if I hadn't played Fjords first. Uh, what have you been playing, Kevin? Uh, I played the um, the sort of top-ranked game that came out of the Seven Day Roguelike uh, most recent compo. Uh, it's called Dead Face. Um, and you are basically playing as like a hacker trying to steal a bunch of corporate data. Uh, there are, I think, five levels that you have to get through. Um, and the sort of the, the cool innovations that this brought to the genre were that uh, there were like, so it's it's text-based sort of, you know, roguelike sort of you're in a little at sign kind of thing. But you have uh, you have a facing uh, so you can like rotate and change your facing. Um, and that becomes especially more important when you, uh, take over a mech. They had these mechs, which were multiple sizes. There were like little power armor suits that were just one character size. There were like medium sized ones that were like five characters, uh, in a sort of a cluster. And there were like gigantic ones that were like 30, 30, characters all um put together and, and like each of the little each square would have a different function like some, some of them were just weapons some were batteries and just that kind of thing and you could when you took over a mech you could sort of turn weapons on and off um, and they would use battery power or they would use bullets that you could collect uh and so these mechs just sort of existed in the space and all of them had uh, like drivers in them uh, and there were also, there's also like security checkpoints that house data and you can go up to the, those data points and, uh, try to steal data successful or not. There's like a, an overall, um, sort of alarm or alertness setting of the whole level. Uh, and every time you either succeed or fail stealing something, the alertness level goes up by one or two, um, and those increase the sort of radius at which the, the mechs will notice you. 
And so you have to balance stealing data and also stealing mechs and controlling them and like fighting other mechs and uh, trying to find the points with it, like that where you can hack the alarm panel to reset the alert back down to one. Um, it's it like a, just a bunch of systems altogether. Oh, and the hacking mini game was also just super interesting. You, you you pick a thing to hack, and it can be either a mech or a data point or the alarm system or whatever. And what you the game mode changes entirely. And it's uh, on the left hand side of the screen, you see a series of sort of rows of characters. They're all hex digits. Uh, and I think this is why the game is called Dead Face because it's a thing that you could spell out of hex digits. Um, and on the right is a set of programs uh, that you have access to. Uh, and I think it's five programs. And there are... All the number programs are just remove number, like one, two, remove all the ones, remove all the twos, remove all the threes. And then A through F have like special functions that they do permute they sort of do permutations on the field um and your goal is to blank out all of the letters all the sort of randomized digits that are presented to you uh, and there's a as a timer and you you can use each program once and um you can reload programs and that sort of takes away like 20 seconds of your 120 seconds or whatever to 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 do the task and so it's you have to act quickly but you need to think about the strategy at the same time the hacking minigame is is pretty cool um i don't know that it's always solvable sometimes there's just there's just you get a really bad random seed and there's just too much stuff to do and you don't get good programs because those are also sort of randomly loaded um oh weird i had imagined that it generated it like a like it basically gave you a, a Rubik's cube that it had a few moves done on it. And then you had to figure out how to reverse it with the programs that you had. No, I, I not that, not that, not as I understood it, at least like, I think mm. it was, I think it, it was probably not that finely tuned. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a more specific, um, there, like maybe it is made such that if you do everything right, it is solvable, but I, I'm not sure if that's true. Um, but it's it was just really cool. Like the the interface for the um, hacking minigame was was like uh, you were typing in sort of like command line interface stuff, like run program nine, run program A or whatever. Um, and the whole thing had you know just a sense of strategy and uh, and sort of it was time pressure and limited scope. All of the all of the all of the things that I feel like. I would have appreciated more in a in a roguelike uh, because those I felt like those things just went on for forever. Um, it seemed like they, they they were not you know half hour endeavors I guess. Whereas this is a game that you can definitely get through in about thirty minutes. Um, so I can I can highly recommend giving it a try. Um, yeah, it's uh, super cool, and I like the I like the sort of flavor of it a bunch. What was uh, the name? And of it? then. Dead face, two cool. words. It was by uh, the person who made it is Jer G E. Sorry, G J E R E, um, like Jeremy, but without the M Y. Um, and then this week uh, I've been playing a fair bit of the Hearthstone Tavern Brawl because it uh, they brought back my favorite Tavern Brawl or sort of a variant on it, which is pick two cards that are uh, currently standard legal. And the de- you'll get 15 of each of them in your deck. So it's just a bunch of two-card combo decks uh, and just sort of go wild uh, with it. 
Um, and I just always love seeing what two cards people pick because it's everything. Everybody try, thinks of some little random trick that they want to try. And sometimes they're really successful and sometimes they're terrible. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, and you sort of understand it in the first minute or two usually. And then you can either say, well, clearly you're going to beat me or I'm clearly going to beat you. And usually somebody will just resign, but sometimes, sometimes it's not as clear based on what you've got. So you, it'll, it'll sort of go back and forth in a sort of an exciting way. I, I don't know. It's, it sort of distills the game down into this just very sort of fundamental uh, one trick pony kind of thing. And then you get to see a bunch of trick ponies. <laughs> And it's neat that it doesn't seem to, like, the meta hasn't seemed to ossify the way that it sometimes does in these. Yeah, because this is the first time that I'm aware of, at least, that they did, um, that they sort of restricted the the choice of cards to the ones that are currently legal uh, in the competitive play. Because up until this point, it's, it's just been any two cards from the entire game. And there were a couple of combinations that would very rapidly sort of take over and you'd, you'd, you'd almost always be facing off against somebody who'd, who'd chosen that kind of thing. Um, but it seems like the, the current field is, is constrained in a, in a couple of ways that that has not happened. And so like you're, I, I've played, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 games of this and seen, I don't think any repeats in terms of strategy ever, everyone has done something different, um, which is cool. My uh, my favorite uh, matchup was I I was playing shaman, and my two cards were like a a dumb one cost card that was a zero one taunt that uh, gives you a random shaman spell when you cast it, and then uh, a an echo card that let you evolve one of your cards uh, as many sort of basically as many times as you had ma- mana. Um, and the very first opponent that I played it against, the the card that they played first was, um, was it Millhouse Mana Storm that makes your opponent's spells cost zero the next turn? And so, uh, I was able to just immediately evolve like two creatures all the way to like ten cost minions, uh, <laughs> and they just immediately, and then they just immediately uh, conceded. <laughs> yeah, the Millhouse Mana Storm is really broken with Echo spells. Yeah, it's it changes everything. Huh? You think that wouldn't work? Yep. Hey guys, do you want to do some emails? Wow. Okay. Do we have any? Yeah. What is Jim gonna say at the end of the show? <laughs> we'll find out. All uh, right. RNG. He hate me. Wrote. Uh, ah, crap. My phone just locked. <laughs> uh, no more emails. How did he write Sorry, that guys. to you? <laughs> uh, hey, y'all. Planet Money number 841 has a discussion on where Duty Free came from and why it stuck. Turns out it's related to Irish coffee and Toblerone chocolate. What? Huh. I wonder if Planet Money has a, a discussion on how credit cards came to be, since that's a thing that I was interested in. Um, I haven't complained about Duty Free in a really long time. What? What is your complaint? Uh, my objection to duty free is that it is a system that is overwhelmingly characterized by its abuse rather than by its legitimate use. And I don't like that in general. I don't like systems who are 
that are more often abused than used. What about people who more often abuse systems than use systems? Uh, I mean, I like you, so that's... Okay. <laughs> um, I, d I don't have an objection to abusing systems, right? But I the objection that I have is when a system exists only for the sake of continuing to promote its own abuse. And like so, duty free is just a weird way for people who live near a border to avoid taxes. It just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And what is yeah, what is the rationale for it existing at all? Uh that if you aren't from a country, you shouldn't have to pay that country's excise taxes on a thing. Right? What? Like uh I I don't know. Like okay. uh, yeah, that's the thing. I, like, I don't even really understand the point of, like, I mean, yeah, I guess if I went to Canada and there was a, you know, $10 a bottle Canadian tax on whiskey, I would expect to pay that. Right. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, I guess sales tax is literally meant to be a tax on citizens, not just on consumers of any kind. But it's like a specific tax that doesn't apply to exports, right? So it's just like, here's a system for pretending this is an export. Right. Well, and that's I mean, the you're supposed to only be able to buy it when you're leaving a place, right? Because they're in international terminals and airports. Right. And stuff, but I mean, right? I mostly encountered it like on the way into Mexico on foot. And then they had to, they walked you across yeah. the border and then they walked you back. Right. So it was just like a way for anybody who lived in Nogales to not have to pay taxes on cigarettes. People do this all the time who live on state borders, right? Because there will be states that don't have sales tax and they will go to those states to buy things and then they'll live across the border in the state that doesn't have income tax or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and I guess it's equivalent to like driving onto an Indian reservation to buy tobacco products. Right. Or to gamble because it, it might be illegal in your state. What about Terrence writes international waters. Oh yeah. To drink before you're 21. How come, how come nobody has just set up like a brothel boat just outside of <laughs> national waters? It's C international C waters are pretty far out. Has one. Isn't it like, isn't it multiple miles away from shore? No one has ever invented a way to travel multiple miles on the water. <laughs> Well, it's just non-trivial, right? Like, it's just not... What I'm saying is that, like... Why don't I don't want, like, a swim-up brothel? Like, I'd be willing to, like, take a water taxi to it. Terrence writes, I haven't owned a console in many years, having only played a couple PC games per year. I want to get back into gaming, but don't know where to start. What current-gen console would you recommend to someone with little exposure to modern games, and why? I mean, I would definitely say the Switch, just because Switch it's rad. It's getting good. Yeah. And... yeah. If you want something more high power, I would go PS4 over the Xbox, whatever it is. Really? Yeah, like between, yeah, same. Between those two, like you should just look at the respective game catalogs, especially like between the Switch and the PS4, there's not going to be that much overlap right. of what games you can play. So like take a look at the top rated games for each of those systems, see what appeals to you and pick that one. Uh, 
uh, was into Minesweeper for a while, writes, Zach and other guys, I don't think you know about Minesweeper. First click mine isn't a thing. Second click mine takes less than a second. Just restart till good blank. Real issue is when you uncover the whole board except for two and it's impossible to know. That is Wait a, a problem. I, I have definitely played versions of Minesweeper where the first click could be on mine. Like, that saying that that isn't a thing is, is only no, I, true for certain builds. It's it. true for the original real one. Okay. Which is the 16-bit version one that comes with Windows 3.1. Okay. Uh, it also has only a 16-bit random number generator, so there's a fixed number of possible layouts. But and then it's saying that the second click, so the first click not being a mine, the second click you are still just randomly guessing, right? Like you have a probability around the one that you yeah, clicked on. Yeah, I, I think that really, I think that sucks. Um, so I, I'm not, it would I don't be, think it is a good starting situation at all. Uh, well, like if you're, I, I think this guy's argument is that like, if you lose on the second turn, you haven't really lost that much because you could just restart. You've lost your perfect record. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's true. Well, I don't think because Minecraft doesn't do perfect records very well, people don't pay attention to those. That's true. Uh, I, oh, I've, I, I've been playing a game, and the reason I didn't talk about this is that I've been playing it, like, on and off since I last talked about it for the first, like, uh, like a month and a half ago, is Dungeon Sweeper, uh, which is the, the Android port of Mamono Sweeper, and it's still, you know, reasonably fun, but I've gotten to the point where, like, um, I have uh, AAA ratings in almost all the categories, and the way to get them, the the way you have to get them in the category is just never make a mistake and go really fast. And Ugh. for the longer categories, that's just really arduous and not particularly fun. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. Like I'm not a I'm not a big person like in favor of perfect record kind of uh, measurements of gameplay. Anyway, so what about like rhythm games? Yeah, like that's I think that that becomes a problem on um high-end play. Like especially if you, if you look at um uh I don't know, if you follow like YouTube full bands, like people will like stream like we we played uh Panic Attack by Dream Theater 80 times and we finally got the full band full combo. And it's not like the the players got significantly better over that period of time because they've been playing this game for years. They just got lucky that one time. Right. Well, would you guys like to talk about this assignment? Tiny yeah. bubbles? Yeah, we might as well. This game continues to be a delight. It is super good. <laughs> it's like the perfect phone game. I, I was playing it, it on PC on this time Steam. around. Yeah. It's, uh, I was surprised uh, I couldn't play this on Android because, like, the early access concept on Android has a limited number of players. So, like, oh, this game has sold too many copies. You can't buy it. Oh, weird. Huh. So they have not yet released a full version on Android yet? It's I guess not, yeah. Early access? Weird. Okay. It is it pretty, I think on the technical side, it's a one 
person shop. Like I think there's there's a sort of producer and PR person, but yeah, it seems to be that scale by and large game. entirely the work of a dude. Um, yeah, I was you make some bubbles. You put colors in. You put colors yeah. in them, and and you you know you cut the edges of bubbles, and you try to meet get four colors together to yep. make them pop, and then it goes pop 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 pop. Pop, 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 pop. Yep. It's, it's good. It's, it's very uh, satisfying. One thing it's that uh, was physics-y. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. Like one thing that's not clear to me is like this sort of puzzle game usually has very predictable, mm-hmm. um, yep. like object physics, and this one doesn't. Like I feel like where you pop the bubble makes a huge difference as to the the oh, resulting layout. That. I could I, be I, wrong. I, there, there are definitely puzzles that, like, where it throws an unexpected twist in, like, you have to change the color of a bubble while that chain of bubbles is in the process of popping so that it'll match another chain and things. There, there is one, uh, there is, uh, uh, for a more physics-y example, there is a puzzle that I, I like opened it and was looking at, and I was like, well, all right, how am I, what do I, how is this going to work? How am I going to do this? And I, as I sat there and stared at it for like six seconds, two of the bubbles eventually decided that they were heavy enough that they shifted around and formed a join where there hadn't been one before. And that yeah. made the puzzle solvable for me. <laughs> so, yep. so like part of the solution was sit and wait for six seconds. There are like, puzzles where you can just open it and wait, and it will solve itself if you. Oh, <laughs> I hadn't run into that. A, a good feature would be like jostling the phone to oh, yeah to shake things or, up. or blowing on it, and it and it picks that up on yeah. the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm curious how that interacts with, especially like late game puzzle design. Where, like, Everything has felt pretty fair, although I yeah. have not, I didn't, like, I've not really gotten past the first, like, three or four worlds on either of my playthroughs. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I keep opening this thing up and just playing a few levels and then putting it away, and it's yep. like, man, it's, it's, it's just, it's the I was very surprised. Game. That's what makes it a great phone game. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a perfect <laughs> popping, popping game. Oh, riff well, okay. that too. <laughs> uh, the, the, um, Individual bubbles kind of behave like battlers, you know, they, like they they pop if they get too full. That's true. Uh, I was really surprised at how many sort of kinds of puzzles could be made with the specific set of interactions that are possible. I think yeah. I think the sort of like physicsiness of it really affords a lot more outcomes than if it were like just squares on a grid or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's good. I hope that I hope they make some money. Had, did you the logo for Pine Street Codeworks is real weird. It's it's got like drawings of like medieval weapons and like card suits and stuff. It's like, wait, this is like a logo for a game company that doesn't know what kind of games it's eventually going to make. And it's all it has made so far is this one game that is not like any of the imagery. It's, it's just like you wouldn't even necessarily notice the specific details on this thing. It's just kind of like a like a crest. But like 
there's like swords and shit on it, which is just not. Anyway, it's, it's good. I like that little fish guy. He's cute. I like yeah. it when uh, there's the little starfishes that get to smooch unless there's a <laughs> crab to murder them. <laughs> it's it's it's, uh, it's interesting that it's um, like there's no microtransactions. It's it's buy it and play it, but it totally has like this this infinite mode that ticks you up turns every so many real minutes and those turn the and as you play that thing you acquire uh like carnival game tickets that can be spent on hints and power-ups like exactly as if it were a typical mobile game with free to, microtransactions. Free to play games yeah but i have a have feeling yeah. i have a feeling that it was designed as though it were going to be one of those and then they changed their mind changed and made it mind. a premium game which because i like i kind of don't like that about it like i wish that there weren't power-ups that you could buy and that that infinite that, mode I is mean, the power-ups yeah. are just, I wish for there the were just an infinite mode. version right you can't i don't think you can use the power-ups in the puzzle games yeah, uh, yeah, saw- but even then, I mean, it just like it just ruins like it ruins a difficulty curve that I imagine was created pretty deliberately. Mm-hmm. And also, like once you've beaten all of the puzzles in the game, all I wanted to do was the infinite mode, and I couldn't <laughs> yeah. because you get right. twenty moves every. You three should be hours able to spend those tickets on more moves. Yeah, but even that would be, I think, dissatisfying unless unless the it was tuned just right, you know? Mm. Yeah, we saw it's, player I mean, reactions for Gunhouse that were just like, the upgrade system makes me, like, it reminds me of um, free-to-play games, and I don't think, and, 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 they, and they said, they went on to say, I don't think it actually, I don't think you actually can buy the currency, but I still don't like it because it reminds me of it, which is a totally yeah. fair uh, reaction Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I think that when they started working on this game, the iPhone games landscape was definitely such that, like, you just can't launch a premium game as your first game as a studio. Like, that just never works. And in the intervening couple of years, that, I think, that perception has changed a little bit. I don't know if the reality has changed at all. Like, I don't know if there were initially any plans to release this on Steam. Time for emails. Tiny bones. Hey, we didn't decide on a new assignment. Oh, shit, we didn't. Oh, yeah. Um. Hey, yeah, guys, think- for our next assignment, we're going to play Assault Android Cactus, which is, I think, like a Robotron uh, kind of game, which is uh, not what I thought at Unfortunately, all. it's more like a Geometry Wars kind of game, meaning... Yeah, I see. Unfortunately for you, Zach, meaning oh, it's full, not a way... Of, full freedom of shooting? Oh, maybe well, you can quantize it. Oh, that would be good. Um, I met uh, Sonatana Mishra, the one of the developers at uh, at uh, PAX, Australia, PAX Australia, and he's a he's a delightful dude, and uh, we we uh, bonded over our enjoyment of the Church of Robotron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Assault Android Cactus. I. It this name feels weirdly Japanese 
to me in that it doesn't have anything to do with cactus. There's just the word that's in there that makes it seem like it's a different thing. So it's actually, I, I, I consider it to be a spoiler what that title means. And I thought it was like a very nice minor twist. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess I'll let that twist happen to me. Yeah, it's a, it's, so it's co-op, so you should play with a friend. Oh, okay. That's cool. Kevin, will you be my friend? Sure. Oh, yay! Is it local? Is it local co-op, or can you play it on the on a network? I, I don't know if I know it has local co-op. I don't know if it has network co-op as well. Well, by next weekend, we'll be at our brand new office space, and we'll be able to play it together on a computer. Yay. Nice. Gentlemen, I've had a fantastic time recording episode number 330 of Video Games Hot Dog with you, and I hope we come right back for episode 331, like later this afternoon. Is that okay with you? No. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Um, Listeners, I hope you'll join us, I and can... Riff won't be there, so it'll be sad. No Pokemon talk. <laughs> what do you, what do you, uh, what do you have uh, to do today, Riff, that you had to record so early? Is it a critical Pokemon event that's time sensitive? No, it's a, it's a critical, uh, uh, a tingle let's play event no oh, nice. gotcha jenny and i are recording today those have been fun do you have a is there a single place that i could link people to in the show notes to your uh you guys's uh, let's play stuff uh yeah i'll uh i'll link the is there a playlist youtube playlist in, yeah there's a cool. youtube playlist i'll link it in the slack yay guys seize the means of production and uh, host your videos on your own website somewhere <laughs> Kakabububalaya. <laughs> Time for emails. That was kind of a cop out, Jim. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good.